world is ended. Oh. What what are we gonna do about climate change, nuclear war, oh. horrid shit? Oh, what? What? It, it, I. You know what I, this calls for, Megan? What? A good old Roman Republic. Wait, that that I need that failed. an emperor. Wait, but that that and also I failed. I need senators. Wait, but Rome like notoriously fell. The whole old. You old don't Rome. get it, Megan. It's the post-apocalypse. So Wait, therefore, what? we get to be Roman again. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself. War never changes. For William Shakespeare. My name is Megan Charlo, and I use she/her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he/him pronouns. And today we are talking about a 2017 crowdfunded film, *Ambition's Debt*, a direct adaptation of Julius Caesar, directed by Devin E. Hawk and produced by Imperfect Films and Uwaki Films. Most of the knowledge we have for this film comes from the Kickstarter page for the film, which mentions that this film had minimalist goals in an attempt to emulate a more theatrical aesthetic by setting the film in, like, a Brooklyn warehouse. I'm walking here! I'm walking here! Which also sounds like a great way to not spend a lot of money. I do love... We found a location. It's a warehouse. Uh, well, you know, we want a minimalist aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, a minimalist aesthetic, and yet this film is set in a post-apocalyptic setting. Because all that's going to be left is empty warehouses. And, like, rags. Cheap. Cheap rags. <laughs> I just want to quote the Kickstarter, because I don't want to make it seem like we are misrepresenting this film. Because... From what I can tell, this film is mostly a very auteur piece, with the visionary being the director, Devin. Could you explain what that means for people who might not know? Yeah, so a auteur work is something which focuses in on one artist, as though the vision and everything surrounding the work can basically be attributed to one person. Many people think that that's BS. But on certain budgets, like the last thing we covered on this podcast as well, that's a definite Artur piece. Romeo and Juliet Sealed with a Kiss was thought of by one man, and mostly produced by that man. And it feels like this was a similar thing, from what we can tell. But why post-apocalypse, Megan? I, I don't know, please tell me. As per the Kickstarter, we live in a time of amazing political and social turmoil. They didn't even know. This is like right around right a, Trump. Right around the election, like yeah. right after the election. They're like, boy, it's never going to get worse. The ideas and themes present in William Shakespeare's play are perfect metaphors for the turbulent times we now endure. 
I want to change the face of what Shakespeare is supposed to look like by telling this story in a way that's fresh and relevant and captures the diversity of our unique democratic society. My hope is that by bringing Shakespeare's words into this modern context, we will foster an appreciation for the world's most celebrated dramatist among a new generation and encourage young audience to think critically about the society in which they live. I will say something I like about the film is there are a lot of black actors in it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, diversity. That's nice. Diversity is always a win. However. However. How does the post-apocalypse add add to to this? this? Never in the play is it like, we've been struggling, Caesar, because of the post-apocalypse. Like, that's a thing that I could see you doing for Coriolanus, maybe. Yeah. Where they're like, hey... There's food shortages, there's war, it's a very what-are-you-gonna-do-about-it sort of play. While in Julius Julius Caesar, Caesar, they're like, welcome home, we love you, you're amazing, wow, you're the best. Like, it starts off with Caesar coming back and being like, I want a battle. And people are like, yay, life is great, make you a king. Like, things are pretty good for them. Things seem good. Anyway, submitted to multiple film festivals, Ambition's Debt went on to receive several awards and nominations amongst various minor film festivals, which good for it. Yeah. You know, it can be found on Tubi for free. That's nice. I like when a film's available for people to watch if they like. Especially if it's like, well, this is a a film festival film that, you know, uh, we're a little more high caliber. Bang, do you have anything additional to add about Julius Caesar? Because we we did cover the beginning of it. Yeah, so Julius Caesar is about Julius Julius Caesar. Caesar, and he's like, hi, I'm good at fighting. And the people are like, yay, Julius Caesar. Rule us, we love you. <laughs> Tell me what to do, daddy. And Cassius is like, eh, I don't think so. I'm not a fan of this guy for some reason. I think, you know, we should just kill him. And he convinces the rest of the Senate, including one of Caesar's friends, Brutus. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll kill him. And then they do. And then Mark Antony's like, what the hell? Why... And then he, you know, six the people on the Senate and they kill the Senate. I have a question. Yeah. What politics does Julius Caesar the play have? There is a man who becomes a nice fascist. Yeah. And the Senate decides. Not because he's like bad at it, but because they're like, he's too powerful to us because we want to have control. But he's still a fascist. Yes. He's still an emperor. He's still someone who holds sway over the entire nation. Are we supposed to think that the senators are bad? That's what every single production seems to say. Because the senators aren't reflecting the will of the people. The people want... Right, the people want Caesar. The people want to be under an emperor. Yeah, they love him. It's just strange because you have to take the politics of the play out of the context of Shakespeare's time. Oh, yeah. No, you couldn't be like, you know what's great? Killing rulers. Yes. You have to be like, how sad would it be if a bunch of lords killed the king or the queen? Because my question is, how do you you take that out of that context? Because obviously we have to. 
because we're not in that time. Yeah. I firmly believe that one person controlling everything is bad, no matter how beneficial they are. He's an elected official, though. It's like the... (laughs) Megan, I know you're going to roll your eyes at me. Okay. But it's like Dr. Doom. Okay. Dr. Doom runs the fictional nation of Latveria. Mm -hmm. He is the dictator of the nation. Mm -hmm. And somehow, at the same time, it is one of the most financially stable nations in the Marvel Universe. Well, also, every single person who lives there is like a 16th century peasant looking guy who's like, oh, pennies, pennies for the cup. And it's like, what is the deal with Dr. Doom? He's taking the money. But he's also the good dictator. There's no good dictators, Marquez. You and I know this. And yet... Julius Caesar is depicted as... Oh, it's so sad. He got killed and betrayed. Yep. How does this work with post-apocalypse? And how does this film deal with that? It's like, man, we hate that Trump got elected. Wouldn't it be great if we could kill him? That would be so sad because he's a nice man. Wait, what? But yeah, in the play, Julius Caesar is never bad. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. He just has too much power. I'm just saying the director is like, this has something to do with what's currently happening. Like the only instance we get of him doing a bad thing is denying what's his nuts brother from coming back to Rome. I mean, that is so rude of him. Because he was what was he doing he did a crime yeah he was a criminal oh yeah a crime worthy of banishment sorry he did the thing and you can't just bring him back because you're a senator yeah but he's a dictator julius caesar anyway moving on i just there is no way to pick this apart it is a gordian knot and i can't even cut it through with a big old sword it's very confused It's because we don't live under a monarchy, Megan. Well, no. We live under an oligarchy. Uh, Should I go into the acting corner? Do what you must. Okay. There is, from what I can tell, one actor who I recognize from things. And that is the man who plays Cassius, Peter McRobbie, who was in the Steven Spielberg film Lincoln. He was in M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit, and he was the priest from the Daredevil TV show. That's pretty cool. From what I can tell, a lot of the other actors have successful careers in short films and theater, trotting the boards, theatrical productions, and that's nice. Good. I'm glad that they're getting work and getting paid for their work. That's it. I think it's really important. Important to say who Caesar's played by. Oh yeah, Caesar's played by our director, Devin. He really shows up in only two scenes. We'll talk about it. With that out of the way, let's start this film. We open with a sort of poem at the beginning about God creating the world and it being art. And I looked up this poem. I looked up who the voice says it is, which is Dr. Thomas Edward Powell. And I can't find this poem or that person existing anywhere. And neither can I. So I don't understand why it's here. 
Correct. Or what it means. It's too long of a quote to be impactful, in my opinion. You want it to be, like, hard-hitting. And this is just kind of like... So God did this, and it was that, and then he did this, and it was that, and this was like that, but then he did this, and that was this, and this is that. Dr. Thomas Edward Powell. So the thing is, we get a lot of scenes of different disasters. Yeah, there's a lot of wreckage shown on screen. And there's like icebergs melting. And there's... Garbage, just a lot of piles of garbage, yeah. just empty streets, garbage. So, like, not, like, one thing ended the world in this adaptation. Like, No, there was a bomb, we can see, and we do see cops beating up civilians, so I think it's all the cops. It's their fault? Yep. I'm okay with that. But that's our intro, and that, I think, sets us up for how confused I'll be throughout this film. So the first scene in Julius Caesar has a bunch of tradesmen making gossip about Julius Caesar. And then a couple of senators come in. And they're like, hey. Shouldn't you be doing your job? Go do your job, you vagrants. In the post-apocalypse? Oh, let me just do my cobbler job. Yeah, I feel like it's really weird when everyone is dressed like vagrants and it's the post-apocalypse when society should really be, like, thrown out. There is no separation of class in this highly political play about the difference between the will of the people and the will of the rulers. Yeah, it's almost like setting it in the post-apocalypse, undermines a majority of the themes of this play. I could see it working. You would just need to have the senators have, like, ruined epaulettes. Or have it be like, they look fine. Or they are the ones with a gun. (laughs) Yeah, like, there's something that takes them to a different level than everyone else. But honestly, I was just like, I can't tell who's who. They all look destitute. And yet one's calling that they're vulgar for some reason. It it is losing me very quickly. But luckily, the next scene, Caesar comes in. And you know what? Usually I give directors shit when they play a character in their film, especially a title character. But Caesar's honestly not that big a talker in this. And he's really charming. Yeah. I was like, I'd give him a, a coronet. The one thing I don't like. Is that the camera, when Julius Caesar talks to Mark Antony, just goes from Julius Caesar, flips over to Mark Antony when he speaks, flips over to Caesar when he speaks, flips back to Mark Antony when he speaks. Use a wide shot. The problem I'm having is that this is a minimal set and everyone is standing still. For long swaths of discussions and dialogue. And it is hard to make that interesting. And part of it, I think, is because the camera has to remain steady because they didn't have a lot of money. And, like, you just don't have the money for a setup that can move the camera with the actors when they're moving. Yeah. Which kind of combines with a stage theater aesthetic in a negative way. So if you can't move your camera and the actors have to stand still so that they're in the shot. 
the actors can't move and if they are trying to be moving in a stage theater way they can't use their movements in order to convey their actions so it's like you have hindered your stage theater aesthetic with a camera that can't move because you don't have enough money for it is the feeling i am getting i may be completely wrong about this interpretation but that's what i'm feeling I don't know if we mentioned that this is a direct adaptation. We did. We did? Yes. Yes, so all the lines are from from Shakespeare, so they can't be like, ah, yes, the apocalypse. Like, they they can't mention it. So it's not mentioned. And in this scene, this is where a soothsayer tells Julius Caesar to beware the Ides of March. And everyone goes, ah, a soothsayer. (laughs) And I go, what does that mean in the post-apocalypse? Well, she's got uh, markings on her face. She does. Why? What does that mean? I do like that they give her voice an echoey effect when she repeats herself. I liked that. It was a very nice little thing. I didn't understand her place in society, but, you know. How would you make a post-apocalyptic soothsayer, Megan? So here's a thing about Shakespeare's histories, or quite a few of them. They'll be like, ah, yes, people see the future. They just do. And, you know, when Shakespeare was putting on the place, people were like, oh, yeah, people in ancient Rome, they saw the future all the time. But there's, like, not much, I don't think, in post-apocalyptic literature that we can lean on of, like, ah, yes, the soothsayers that are in all sci-fi futurism. Megan? Yeah. I know how to make it post-apocalyptic. Please. make her a conspiracy theorist. Or an AI. Well, yeah, but I'm trying to make predictive it... text. Well, that's, beware the eyes of my. But, but that's what I'm saying for my conspiracy theorist is that she's reading like numerology and she's just lost it and she's just like, no, beware the eyes of March. Look at this group of numbers that I found and I did algorithms to it and it says this is bad times for you. I'm going to get cinema sins on William Shakespeare right okay. now. If you were with Caesar and you ended up planning on murdering him. You and changed you, the date. You changed the date. You were the Ides of March. Crap. Yeah, uh, we I'd could do the 16th Eve. of March. <laughs> we're like Ides Eve. Change the date, conspirators. Come on. What, is he going to get less fashy? Speaking of conspirators. Cassius is like Brutus. I've, I'm a conspirator. Come yep. conspirator with me. And, and then they, they just talk. They talk for a long time about how they are going to kill Caesar and Caesar's bad. I don't know if you paid attention to this or if your attention was drawn by this. Oh, was it the people coming in through the background and going across the scene behind them? And the woman that sits there the entire scene just behind them. Yeah. And I was like, they really don't care if people overhear this, huh? They're, and they're not acting it. It would be great if there was other Yeah, if they people. were like, oh, shh. Yes, so this. Yeah. But they're just like, ah, yes, Caesar, bad. Kill Caesar? Ah, yes, hello, stranger. Kill Caesar. Kill Caesar, everybody. We should totally just stab Caesar! I find it so weird, because that's obviously a choice. And that's not a thing like, oh, well, budget. It's just like, no, you you told people to sit there and polish things, like, three feet away from them. I also have a problem with the camera in this scene, too. Well, yes, because (laughs) it's a long scene. My problem being, and this is something that comes up in, like, every scene from this point forward, 
is that uh, the way that the actors are framed, the tops of their heads are always cut off. They are never fully in the frame. And Unless it, someone's shorter, then their head gets to be in the frame. Yep, it just feels a little bit off the whole time. To me, maybe I'm... Being... I think for me, it's the mix of that and lens flare. Yes. That makes it feel less it draws polished. Me out. It's less polished. It, it just takes me out of it because I notice that only. words are being said. And if it's Shakespeare, you kind of need to pay attention to the words to understand what's happening. And if there are other things going on on the screen, your attention is drawn to that. There are a few times that I wrote notes about Caesar in the script. People being like, ah, here comes Caesar. And then Caesar doesn't come. And I know it's because, or I'm guessing it's because Devin was playing Caesar and also directing. And was like, ah, just cut that bit. I want to focus on directing the important parts. So I'm not going to mention it every time. But I just wanted to put that out there. I respect a director saying, I'll have less screen time. But I also think, maybe cut the line that says, here comes Caesar. When Caesar's here, tap Casca on the arm. Just say, like, we should talk to Casca. Just just cut the bit about Caesar. <laughs> I do kind of like Casca, though. He reminds me of Jane from Firefly. Oh, your favorite person? N- no. Oh, wait, who do you like from Firefly? Who did you defend on this podcast? Simon. Oh, yeah. I'm confused. No, wait, I, I think maybe you're confused. But he kind of reminds me of Jane from Firefly. What this Casca has is absolute no shits given. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah, so they talk about, you know, well, Caesar refused the crown, and he swooned, and it looked kind of fakey. He's sus. Caesar's sus. We should vent him. Yeah. That whole thing. Yep. The whole thing Shakespeare said. Yep. Uh, That's that scene. And then that scene ends with Cassius giving a little aside And we, once again, do have a film where asides are said to the camera. We note it in, like, every other, so I'll note it here. That's what happens in asides. They don't do anything special. At least in this aside, Cassius seems to be uncomfortable looking in the camera a bit. I I gotta say, I feel like he's not trustworthy, or, like, he doesn't trust me, because he keeps breaking eye contact. My problem with it is... That no one seems to have a good enough grasp of the text combined with working with a camera. Yeah. In order to convey what's happening. Yeah. And we go from a scene where Brutus and Cassius talk to a scene where Brutus and Cassius talk to Casca to a scene where Brutus and Cassius talk. But Megan. The next scene. Megan. Has our most important character. Megan. So we're at the part where they're like, oh, there's Casca. It's Casca with, oh, oh, it's uh, Casca and Cassia. So, okay, we're talking. Oh, They're uh, gathering conspirators. You know, like they were in the last scene. Shakespeare. But unlike in Shakespeare, while they're talking, to the right of Brutus and Cassius is a figure. Made of shadow. And it's not one of their shadows. It's facing them. It is added in post. It's a shadow. A shadow man, if you will. And then Casca comes in, shadow goes away. Which I'm like, wait, why? Casca's part part of of the conspiracy. 
I assume that the shadow is supposed to be like the shadow of ambition or the um, they're going to murder someone. So I'd think it would go away if someone who wasn't in on it came in, but whatever. Then Casca leaves and then there's two shadow men. That's an echo, gentlemen. Just a little something we have here in Louisiana. A little politics, don't worry. This is a shadow man podcast, Megan. Hunt for shadow man. Julius Caesar 2. The for rise sh- of shadow man. Why do this? Here's here's the problem, listeners. The shadow men never come back in another scene. If they had, it would be a choice that I'd be like, wow, you did something. But no. It just seems like a mistake, but you know it was on purpose, so you're like, did you make this scene and edit it already, and then you ran out of money and you went, ah, scrap the Shadow Man bits. Oh, but they're already in that scene. Ah, we don't have the money to reshoot it I am or a, re-edit it. I'm obsessed with Shadow Man. I want him to be in more of the film. If any of you know about Shadow Man, email us. Wanted poster, Shadow Man. Info about Shadow Man, wanted dead or alive. I want that dude alive. I want him. Avantbardpod at gmail.com. Tell us if you know Shadow Man's meaning. Shadow Man in the subject line. And Shadow Man too. I want to know about both Shadow Men. Why'd they go away? Where'd they go? Why'd they come back so fast with a friend? I need to know these things. Megan, in the scene, there is a line in which Cassius says, Shall I name thee to a man? And then we both went, Shadow Man. Shadow Man. And then we started making jokes about Shadow Man for the rest of this scene. We talked about things taking you completely out of a scene. Shadow like Man. Lens flare, camera shots, cutting Shadow off Man. people's head, and Shadow, Shadow Man. Man. All of these are things that could take you out of a film. And Shadow Man becomes an obsession, and you don't listen to the words. Again, it's Shakespeare. Direct adaptation. You should be paying attention to the words, but things are happening on screen. See, but the problem for us is we know the words well enough. So we're like, yeah, I'll just focus on Shadow Man. I I I kind of get the gist. I don't think that somebody who doesn't know the play would be able to pay attention to the words with Shadow Man there. Oh, absolutely not. I couldn't. But I was just like, yeah, whatever. I know what they're doing. But I don't know what the Shadow Man is doing. So yeah, that's all we have on that scene, as far as I know, because there were shadow men. 2-1, we start off, we're at Brutus's estate, and he's planting things. And I feel like this is supposed to tell us that Brutus is a nurturing soul or something? He also yells at his son several times. Yeah, Lucius is there. He's a young actor. He's a young- This is the age of Stranger Things, baby. You can't just say someone's young- <laughs> He just still has room to grow. He does. He does do some great faces. Yeah. This scene is really where I went. I wish I knew why the senators hate Caesar. Because I've got no idea. They, they just hate him. He seems super nice to me. He seems like the most charismatic person we've seen in this yes. film. Yes. And Zulfikar, Megan. We've covered it on the podcast. Zulfikar does a good amount of work to showcase julius caesar as a powerful figure and an asshole yeah and like the people who are close to him like mark and antony are like yeah he's an ass but you know he's our ass and like yeah that can be dangerous but what are you gonna do he's there for us when we need him and And then other people are like yeah he's an ass and he might just turn on us and you're like yeah he totally could i could see that and this i don't get that no this i'm like man 
That Julius Caesar would never hurt any of you guys. He seems real nice. And also in Zulfikar, we have a Brutus who <sighs> perfectly feels like somebody who is torn between his love of his country and his friend. I know that this Brutus likes to plant things. And he says a lot of words that are apparently about... I could not tell you a single time that this Brutus said he cares about his country. It happened. No, I caught it. I'm sure it did because it's part of the play. But I know in Zulfikar, I was struck by it. I couldn't look at that character without knowing that. I I did say in the scene, um, I miss Shadow Man. So after Brutus does his thing... I don't know what that means, Marquez. He does his thing. He just talks about his country and we really didn't catch any of it. Yeah, he's got his monologue about like, oh, what do I do? Cassia shows up again, introduces a whole bunch of conspirators and basically makes the plan. You'll draw away Mark Antony. This is what's going down. We had no idea when to do this. And then some weird lady with paint on her face said Ides of March. And now that's just in my head. Now I'm just going to do it that day. And they just basically just say, like, if you're in, you're in. This is happening. And then they leave. And then, Megan. We get Portia. Portia is Brutus's wife. And she comes in questioning, what is wrong with you? And I'm just going to say it now, Megan. She's MVP. She's so good. Okay. She is in this scene. One scene. This one scene, literally she starts speaking and I go, oh, this girl's got diction. This girl's got levels. This girl has depth to a character that is in her one scene. She has different approaches. Yeah, she's like, tell me what's going on. No. Well, I'm sad. Tell me what's going on. No. Well, what if I take your pants off? Tell me what's going on. <laughs> and you get you get each different approach. And you feel the trajectory from one to another. It's not just, oh, well, the director told me to try it this way now, so I'm just doing it. She feels like a real person. And I gotta say, when I say that her diction is great, I, I mean it as a genuine compliment. Like, it's not one of those just like, the costumes are nice. Like, <laughs> I mean it. She just embodied the role. And... I'm really mad that it's a role that's this small and I hope it's that she like didn't have time to do more or she's just like, I just love Portia. Then like live it. But I wish that I could have seen her this whole movie. My caveat. What? Oh, it's small. Okay. Don't worry. Do you know Billy Eichner? Yeah. He has a bit about Kate Blanchett, okay. w- which is, is she a good actor or is she just tall? Oh, she's a treasure! She's a treasure! What my fear is, is that for this film, is she a phenomenal actress or have we been living in a desert? And she's just pretty okay. Okay, well, you know what? I don't care. Yeah, well, we'll never, one, we'll never know. Two, she is the only person I've ever seen do, I made a wound on my thigh. I completely agree with you. We grade on a curve. Our curve's the best curve, though. I just want to say, Marquez, mm-hmm. have you ever seen a production where they kept in the I just stabbed myself in the thigh and didn't mention it, so obviously I can keep a secret? Have you ever? No. I was so happy it was here. Yeah, it's great. All right, moving on. Caesar starts off the scene by being a good husband. Okay, so once again, we have a character, Calpurnia, Caesar's wife, who's like, 
I have visions. Obviously, of course, because it's post-apocalypse and, you know, one in every ten people has visions. I saw a statue of you and I got a bunch of holes and, and out of those holes became blood. And then all the senators were like, yay, Caesar blood. And I feel like that means people are going to stab you with a bunch of holes. And Caesar was like, nah, that's, come on, I can't. And she's like, please just stay home. And he's like, you're my wife, I'll stay home. And I'm like, yay, good husband. End of play. And then this bitch comes in. Decius? I don't remember. Okay. I'm sorry. It's some senator guy. And he's like, you're coming, right? God damn it. (laughs) And then he's like, no, I'm not. And the senator guy's like, what? You weak? Like, why are you not coming? Because your girlfriend said no? Whipped. And then Caesar (laughs) says very loudly, very stubbornly, I will not come. It's very funny, Megan. I like how he said it. And Marquez was giggling (laughs) over the whole next bit. But I liked how he said it. That's fair. And I... Now it's in my head. And then anyway, all the senators show up at his house, which I'm like, weren't you going to meet at the Senate? Like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, hey. And he's like, whoa, Brutus, Antony, Cassius. No, Megan, incorrect. It goes, Brutus, my friend, my friend, Antony. My best friend, best friend. Cassius. Cassius? Which I like. I do like that because it's like, we are co-workers. (laughs) <laughs> yes, uh, I do not know you that well. We are not personally attached. I like it. I think that it's, once again, a very personable Caesar that we're seeing. And I'm like, damn, I wish they didn't cut so many of Caesar's scenes. So we go to the Senate. And this is the first time that we see a throne or any sort of difference of class. He never wears a crown or coronet, does he? No. Why keep the lines? I don't know, Megan. A compliment for this film. This tracking between senators whispering is yes. okay, good so directing. It's a very crowded scene. There's a bunch of senators. Caesar is talking to people. Conspirators are talking to each other. And the camera's just kind of going around this room. And you hear people whispering in the backgrounds of other conversations other than the one that you're focused on. And it's so fluid. And it's so natural. And it's creative. And it captures your attention. I wish it was a little bit more tense because there is a moment where the conspirators are like, oh no, we've been found out. Caesar's going to kill us. And and then a guy nods and they're like, ah, oh, no, we're fine. <laughs> but like, I wish it was more played up. Yeah, like I kind of missed that moment. Yeah. I, literally, I missed that exact moment. And then I noticed back where we were when they were like, oh, no, no, no. That guy nodded. We're good. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they thought something was wrong. Okay. Caesar has a speech. He's like, hey, one, I hate people kneeling in front of me. No kneeling. Two, that guy's brother, he's not coming back. And they're like, oh, now we'll kill you. Simber, I wrote his name. His name's Simber. Simber. Simber is like, my brother did crimes. Horrible. (laughs) Horrible crimes. Would give you nightmares to think on. Can he come home, please? No. But he's my brother. No. Well, what if he's his brother? No, you... What? What if he was this knife's brother? That doesn't make any... Ah, Ah. I'm being stabbed. There is a bit of a fight, which I always like. 
I hate when it's just like, and then Caesar stands there as he's getting stabbed. Yeah. A couple things I like. I like the point of view shot of, you know, Caesar. You get like something that stage can't do is have a point of view shot that's shaky of Caesar kind of dying. I like that. I like that he walks up to Brutus. Yeah, it's okay. I wanted to talk about this point of view shot. Okay. Because as he's approaching Brutus and starting to die, the camera is suddenly like, you're Caesar. And do you, th- do you think that's because the director was playing Caesar and was just like, you know, as Caesar, it's a really big moment. So I think they should feel what it's like to be Caesar in that moment. I mean, I think that's, that could be part of it. I just think it's weird because it's literally never done again anywhere else in the play. And we don't, haven't seen Caesar that much in this play for me to feel like I'm him. That's right. I, I like the moment because it's different. Yes, I like it because when we talk about adaptations, we like to talk about things that can't be done on stage because that's what, you know, most Shakespeare adaptations are on stage. And this is just a moment where you couldn't do this on stage. Oh, yeah, no. Well, you could do Shadow Man. They do also use, we talked about just kind of atmosphere of the scene. The music in the scene is really well done Mm -hmm. because... Like, as Caesar's talking, there's a lot of drive and build, and then a release when the stabbings are occurring and he starts to die. They cut a lot of the thou bleeding piece of earth monologue, which is fine, but also kind of strange. There's a lot of cuts in this film, which I respect, because Shakespeare's long. I'm just always surprised when more well-known sections get cut down. Yeah. Uh, so that he dies, that to Brute happens everyone freaks out and leaves and then a servant of mark antony comes and is like hey mark antony ran away because he thinks you're gonna kill him but if you promise not to kill him he'll come back okay pinky swear and then they're like yeah pinky swear and mark antony was just right there yeah it was like oh yeah he was uh in the hallway (laughs) he really wasn't far and mark antony's like listen i understand you i don't like this but what am i supposed to do die i don't like that so how about instead you let me take him to the marketplace and have like a funeral say some words and i super de duper promise to not say anything bad about you during super promise super promise i'm mark antony you gotta trust me and so he goes and brings the body out to the people and this is a scene where we get I think the most egregious interjections to like modernize it, you know how a lot of modern adaptations do. So like when they say, we're going to tell you about this so that you may be the better judge, you get a citizen that's like, oh, I'm judging you. And then Antony being like, Brutus's love to Caesar was no less than his. And people in the audience go, bullshit. And I'm like, oh, this is stupid. We should be able to tell by the acting how they feel yeah without these weird random interjections show don't tell show don't tell please also it's hard because um this scene in zulfikar was amazing yeah it was great they were so mark and antony are so charismatic (laughs) i would watch those two for like 17 hours i did i watched zulfikar that's just like 17 hours long but um sing so Brutus makes his speech. And then people are like, Brutus, you're Caesar now. Woohoo! Then Mark Antony starts, and 
He's fine. Here's the thing, Megan. Mark Antony is supposed to be the most charismatic. The most charismatic. As I said, Zulfikar. They have my heart. Yeah. But but in this, it's just like, I'm a guy. Caesar is a guy. I mean, people are honest. Uh, the honorable men. Well, well, he also yells, which is your least favorite thing that happens. In, when uh, it's just like, and now I'm yelling. Honorable, honorable. Yelling, yelling. And I'm like, what's driving this yell? Why are you yelling? What What's level happening? is this? What level? How many more levels do we have to go? But yeah, my note was I wish Antony had levels. Yes. Because they are just, they're just very flat. It's a very flat performance and it's very disappointing. And it made me want to put on a 17 hour long film called Zulfikar. Thankfully, we don't own it. Thankfully. Mike, do you have very many notes about what happens next? Um. So after the funeral... Everyone we, is incensed by Mark Antony's great speech. So great. Speech. So great. All my notes aren't just about Zulfikar. So they want to kill the senators. So we see people coming into a camera and they're all just going, ooh, and I don't know why that's a weird choice. I guess that's modern. Anyway, they do a thing where they're like, ah, what's your name? And this random guy's like, Cinna. And they're like, the senator. And he's like, no, I'm a poet. And then they beat him to death. And that's Shakespeare's tiny jab at how... He constantly names people the same name? (laughs) No, Megan, it's because Rome is crappy at naming names. Megan, there are like 12 Roman boy first names. Yeah. I honestly don't think I've seen a production where they kept Sin of the Poet in. I liked Sin of the Poet. I really liked it. I was like, oh, wow, this film's getting good. I mean, that's not really what I thought. I thought, oh, they're doing something interesting. And then it's just like, ah, people are fighting. And, you know, this is act three, scene three. Yep. We have two acts, Megan. Two two more acts. So then we get a a big monologue that I think is part of Antony's monologue to Caesar's body. But it's just said, again, I think by the woman who did the beginning monologue. Yeah. So it's not said by Antony and it's out of place and and then it 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 just doesn't make sense um well so it's the like oh there's going to be civil strife all this it gets rid of the dogs of war bit which is like a famous line the most famous line i think besides a2 brute and it's all greek to me and it's all Greek to me. Those are like the top three famous lines, and one of those is gone. Yeah. And then the credits start. Yeah, the movie's over, Megan. We did it. But then they start a slideshow of some of the worst pictures they've taken of the world. Megan? Meaning, again, it's like garbage and well, It's definitely garbage. stock photos. And garbage. More garbage. Strife and garbage. And we get some, like, random lines from four two and four three and then it's just clouds in the sky like it's just we just see clouds while lines are being said of like it's the senators getting killed and being like it's time for me to die i'm brutus i i it's my time but we don't see their faces so we don't know who's talking and it's just like this guy being like Ah, slash, slash, rabble, rabble, rabble. And we just look at clouds. And then 
there's bad sound effects, and then just crowds shouting, and then we see garbage. Megan, Megan, and, Megan, Megan, I'm going to stop you. Megan, I have to stop you. And then they change. There's a line where the voiceover should say Volumnius, but they say Cinna, and I was like, Cinna didn't do that. But that's because they got rid of Volumnius and made Volumnius also Cinna. Megan, are you okay? Megan. Megan. Where'd the play go? Megan, stop. Megan. Where'd it go? It's gone. There's, it's done. It's over. There were the, two more acts. The movie is over. How come there were like time to kill the senators and they killed a poet and then the movie was like, eh, good enough. Because they probably ran out of money. But you you cut Sin of the Poet then. You, you, you show the senators getting killed because otherwise there's no resolution and you're just like, there's people being killed, well, but I don't know who they are. Well, because the senators is more money because that's more people, man. But and you don't have to pay Cinna because he's only in one just scene. Just do that some much. stick drawings of what's happening. Even if you can't draw, I'd rather see that than pictures of garbage and clouds over random sound effects who I, I don't know who's dying. Well, the movie's over, mate. You don't have to worry about it. It can't hurt you anymore. I feel like that's a lie because no, I hurt. No, it's over. I'm a bleeding piece of earth. Mate, you took a lot of notes on that portion, and I'm proud of you because I gave up. Because as soon as it says directed by Devin Hawk, I am out. That's it. That's the end of the movie. You cannot have more information after it's not. No, I refuse. You cannot give me more information because no one is paying attention to that. What do you want us to pay attention to? The words that are being said by people? You know what's weird? They also show an in memory of... Before all those other lines and deaths of senators happen. Yeah. That timing's weird. Yeah, it is. Uh, can we move on? Yeah. Well, Roger Ebert didn't see this film. Good. Uh, what do we think of this as an adaptation? Okay, so I saw, I looked at some reviews. Okay. About halfway through the film. I was like, <laughs> I need to know what people think of this. Yeah, yeah. Because it's lost my attention. Oh, of course. Yeah. And one of the reviews was like, this is an amazing film. I showed it in my classroom, but also the last two acts aren't there. And then I just sat there waiting, knowing what was going to happen. You spoiled it for yourself. I did. I spoiled this the surprise twist at the end. But also... Talk about M. Night Shyamalan. I, I don't think, mainly because of that and a lot of other big cuts, I don't think that this would be good for a school showing. It sucks because I, I think that schools should show diverse cast productions to their students because those are more rare than they should be. Yes. And I think the parts of this that are good are good, but I don't think any of the parts of this that are good are great. As we might have mentioned at the beginning, a bunch of the themes of the play are completely derailed by the setting yes. and uh, choices made by the director. So the adaptation is not a good one because it doesn't meaningfully confront the themes of the text in any way. Like, you know what I do if I was like, I want to show my students a diverse Julius Caesar. I'll say, hey, class, we have a week of movie days. We're watching the 17 hour long Zulfikar. It's not white people. It's not. And it better conveys the politics. The politics of, the play. of Julius Caesar. I just... You want to know what Zulfikar does? It makes up a place. It makes up a place in a country that doesn't exist. 
And it's modern. It's good. It's yeah. long. Megan, there are some issues. We can, discussed it. Megan, you can cut out the stuff about Antony and Cleopatra at the end. Yeah. And just not show that to people. Cause... Yeah. So you don't have to. What do you think, Marquez? What, everything I said? Plus what you said? Because you kind of said things? Yeah, it's not good. Like, it's not, it's not a bad film. Especially if you consider that it's crowdfunded film. That's cool. If I had to choose between watching Ambition's Dead again and watching Romeo and Juliet seal with a kiss again, you choose Ambition's oh, Dead oh, every oh, time. Oh, yes, yes. That's the thing. Okay. Yes. So we here's grade the thing. on a curve. We grade on a curve. Ambition's Dead is a film. Sealed with a kiss is a nightmare. Yes. It doesn't actively make me angry until right until the end. I wasn't even actively angry. I was oh, just I was. lost. I was actively angry because you can't expect me to pay attention when the credits are rolling. That's fair. Do you want to know what I think Shakespeare would say if he saw this film? I do. Men construe things after their fashion, clean from the purpose of the things themselves. So I think he'd be like, that's not what that's about, but okay. Megan? Yeah? What would you rate Ambition's Debt? I would rate it one crown that I never saw out of the three times he supposedly was asked to take this crown that doesn't exist. Marquez, what would you rate Ambition's Debt? Two shadow men out of three performances that I liked. All right, I think that's just about going to do it for us on this week's Avant Bard. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on all social media at Avant Bard Pod and visit us at our website at bit.ly slash Avant Bard. And if you really liked what you heard, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash Avant Bard Pod. Bloopers for this episode will be posted on Patreon next week. But until then, we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod. Shadow.